recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, PCC. It's good to uh, join with you um, via Zoom from our homes. Um, Thank you to everyone who's already contributed and been a part of this service. Uh, what great uh, reports from uh, those wonderful missionaries serving God in the Philippines. I'm wearing my uh, Filipino barong this, uh, this week uh, in, in remembrance of the Filipino people. If you're visiting with us or you're joining us for the first time, we extend a very special welcome to you. We're glad you found your way to, to uh, worshiping God with us this morning. And we do pray and trust that um, this service will really bless and encourage you. Um, it's my uh, privilege and pleasure to come around God's word with you and uh, love for us to pray together and then we'll launch into uh, God's word uh, and um, hear what God is wanting to say to us this morning. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who is always at work wherever we are. We thank you for the incredible privilege of having access to your word. And we think of the many uh, countries and the nations that don't. And uh, Lord, even the people in our own nation who are disconnected from you. And Lord, we, uh, we are just so thankful that we uh, have that revelation of who you are by your spirit. And we invite your Holy Spirit to come and to, to move in our hearts and to make Jesus real to us this morning as we come around your word. I pray that you'll help me to communicate your word faithfully. I pray that you will give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And we commit our time together to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this morning, my message is entitled, Are We There Yet? Are We There Yet? Um, and I guess uh, it's an appropriate question for us to be engaging with in light of the fact that our lockdowns keep getting extended and we just keep wondering, when are we going to get there? Are we going to get the vaccination levels to, you know, uh, the amount that we need to so that we can be free and we can move around and you know, it can feel like an endless journey. And I remember feeling that way when I was younger and fitter and as part of Rangers, uh, we used to do these different hikes. And part of my leadership training uh, was to do a three-day hike called the National Training Trail, uh, where we had to carry uh, all our gear, our tents, our food, enough clothes for three days. And I think uh, it was about 30 pounds of weight, so about 15 kilos that we were carrying on our, on our backs. And it was hiking in the bush for three days. And I remember getting to the end of the first day and my, my muscles were sore, my feet were sore, my back was sore. And I was thinking, are we there yet? Like, are, are we there yet? Uh, you know, like just feels like this journey is going to go on forever. And I've got three, two more days to go and just feeling so exhausted. Uh, and just that question of, are we ever going to get there? And, and maybe you feel like that about your Christian experience and you, you wonder the same thing. You know, as you think about um, your Christian experience, maybe you felt when you, when you look at Jesus and, and you see what he was like, I wonder if you feel like, man, I've got such a long way to go. I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. Or, or maybe you, you, you're discouraged by the progress of your Christian faith or the lack of progress of your Christian faith. And maybe you feel like for every step you take, forward, it feels like you take two steps backwards. And maybe COVID has just made all of that even harder because we can't meet together as a church and we can't meet together as connect groups and encourage one another and support one another in, in, in a physically close way. And 
Maybe you're feeling that sense of, are we there yet? Are we ever going to get there? Well, I want to encourage you uh, with our uh, preaching series that we're embarking on in the book of Philippians, where we've entitled it Press On, because I really believe that that's what Paul wants the Philippians to hear, uh, to remain steadfast, to, to keep going, to be encouraged uh, in their faith and to keep progressing in their faith. And so I, I pray and I, I hope that this series really encourages you and strengthens you in your faith. And we would love for you to read along if you haven't had the chance already to read through the book in one sitting and then read every chapter before the Sunday service uh, that we're going to be looking at. That way you'll get the most out of these, uh, these sermons because you've been thinking about and pre-reading and reflecting on maybe what God is saying to you in the passage. And, and, uh, and as we think about it at, at Connect Groups and explore it more, we can go deeper in God's Word as we understand it more. Uh, uh, we've shared a link for uh, the Bible Project video that gives you a great overview of this book. And I encourage you to watch that. Uh, we'll also share it in our, in our Facebook group um, and you'll be able to have a look at that, which will give you a good overview of the book of Philippians and the main themes and, and all of that as the Bible Project do so well. Uh, if you have read the book, uh, I wonder if you've, you've felt like that, gee, this book is different to Paul's other books. And, and it is, and ma many Bible commentators note uh, that it, it has a different feel to it than Paul's other letters. Uh, there seems to be a lot more warmth and a lot more affection and friendship and a lot more gratitude. You'll notice the, the word joy uh, and rejoicing pops up over and over and over again uh, in this letter. Um, and th there's such a rich affection where Paul says things like he, he longs for them and he can't wait to see them. And uh, there just seems to be such, uh, yeah, just such a positive vibe in, in Paul's letter. And one of the other things that's significant in this letter is that there's not really any significant issues that Paul is addressing. No heresies he's wanting to correct, no major uh, conflict in the church, even though uh, we get a sense that there is some tension between two of the people, uh, UDR and Syntyche, I think that's how you say their names, which we find in chapter 4, uh, where Paul kind of alludes to that. Um, and, and clearly, it, Paul was concerned about that, uh, because you will find even in this chapter, he, he mentions the phrase, or he, he notes the phrase, all of you, six times. As you read through chapter one, you'll notice that phrase, all of you, all of you, because Paul seems to really want to heal and, and, and resolve this rift between these two uh, people that seemed like they were really well-respected people in the church. Maybe even they were leaders in the church. Um, and so we get that sense that Paul is longing for them to, to be united uh, again. But uh, other than that issue, and, and maybe there's uh, some persecution and opposition that they're feeling, and we will see that at the end of chapter one, that Paul mentions that, that there's no other really, really significant issues that's threatening this church. And so it seems like Paul is really writing this letter to do exactly what we need right now, to encourage them to keep going, to encourage them to press on, to encourage them to remain steadfast in their faith. And uh, the way the book is structured uh, seems like uh, chapter 2, uh, when Paul talks about uh, Christ uh, in, in verses 6 to 11, uh, Paul has this song of, of the work of Christ, of the incarnation and the, the humility and the suffering of Christ, and then the exaltation and the resurrection of Christ. And that sits kind of as a focal point 
in the book, uh, right at the middle of the book. And it seems like Paul has arranged everything else around that central idea where he lifts up the example of Christ's sacrificial love displayed on the cross when he died for our sins as being the the foundation that everything else in this book centers around. And then Paul seems to present himself and and other Christian leaders like Timothy and Epaphroditus uh, as examples um, of, of this same sacrificial love with the idea that he's wanting the Philippians to emulate Jesus and to emulate these other leaders like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus who they know personally as they display and demonstrate the same sacrificial love that Jesus did. And so that's kind of how the book is structured. And so as we come to chapter one, as we begin our journey together, uh, we see that Paul is really wanting to focus on three things as he's wanting to encourage uh, the Philippian Christians in their journey of faith. And I know it's three things. And yes, I know, um, you know, they're all going to start with the same letter, the letter C, excuse me for that, but it's what is in the text. And I hope that it will help you as we journey together um, and think through what Paul is wanting to say to us or what God is wanting to say to us through Paul to encourage us in our own journey and experience. Uh, The first thing that I hope that will really bless us and encourage us is this confidence that Paul had in these first 11 verses of God's work in the life of the Philippians. And we see here that Paul, uh, after his greeting, he he thanks God. He says that he's remembering these Philippians fondly. Verse 3, he says that in all his prayers for all of you, there's that phrase, I always pray with joy. There's this uh, positive joy that he prays with. And he he explains why in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. And uh, Paul will spell spell this out in chapter 4, where he spends a lot of time talking about their financial support, Uh, how they they contributed to his ministry work. And so he's rejoicing as he's remembering them because of their partnership in the gospel for the first day, from the first day until now. And here's the key phrase in verse six, being confident of this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the, to the, to onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This was Paul's confidence that God was at work in them and that these things that he's thanking them for and acknowledging their partnership in the gospel and his joy in remembering them and and his fondness for them and his affection for them and and their, their commitment to Christ was all a result of God's work in their lives. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way. And I love this. Again, he says, all of you. He says, since I have you in my heart, there's that affection and that dearness dearness and he says whether i'm in chains or uh, or defending and confirming the gospel all of you share in god's grace with me and again that idea that they were partners with paul in his gospel work they were remembering him while he was in jail and in prison they were supporting him in prayer as we will see later on and financially contributing and so all of that paul recognizes is the work of god in their lives and then he says God can, te- uh, God can testify how I long for all of you. There's that phrase again, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, they were very, very dear to Paul, very, very dear in his heart, and he was longing to see them. And then he prays, verse 9, and this is so profound, and this is my prayer, 
that you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge he's praying that their love will result in them knowing god more knowing each other more and in depth of insight that they will grow in their knowledge of god and the knowledge of their faith that there would be a depth of insight and then verse 10 so that you may be able to discern what is best it's one thing to do what is good or what is better but paul is praying they as they grow in their christian faith as they grow in their maturity that they would have discernment to know what is best to do what god's will is to to not settle for second best but to pursue the best thing that god has for them and that they may be pure and blameless that they would be holy and and they set apart for god that they would pursue purity and and godliness in their lives their conduct will be blameless for the day of Christ. And verse 11, that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Again, it's not, this is not in striving harder and, 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 and determining to produce fruit, but it's the fruit of, the, of righteousness that comes, he says, through Jesus Christ. And like it reminds us of John 15, of abiding in Jesus and producing the fruit that will bring glory to the Father, the fruit of the Spirit that comes from walking in the Spirit. That's what Paul is praying for. And Paul can pray this way because he's so confident of God's work in them, that the work that God began in them, that God will bring to completion, that God will keep doing and will complete it on, until the day of Christ. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read that list, that we would abound in love more and more, in knowledge, in depth of insight, uh, with the ability to discern what is best, that we might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that can seem like a never-ending journey. That can seem like, man, oh, I've got so far to go. And we can feel discouraged by that. And even, even for me, in, in the last couple of days, I don't, I don't want to blame lockdown. I just I recognize that it's my own sinfulness. I, I responded and acted uh, very immaturely, you know, to a couple of situations with Dash, um, you know, and I, I felt so bad, so ashamed. That I think, man, you've been a Christian long enough. Surely you shouldn't be behaving this, this way. You've read about this. You've thought about this. And, you know, you shouldn't have acted that way. And you shouldn't have responded that way. You shouldn't have reacted that way. And, and it can get so discouraging when you look ahead and you see how far, fall, uh, how far uh, short you fall of Christ-likeness and of living and reacting and responding the way Jesus would. And one of the things this encourages me is just like it did on my hike, every now and again, to stop and look back and to look how far you've come. I remember at the end of that first day and just stopping and looking at the map and looking at how far we had traveled. It was so encouraging. Yes, there was still a long way to go. Yes, there was two more days of walking. But when you stop and look back, it encourages you to see how far you've come. And every now and again, it's so good to stop and remember God's work in your life and how God's been faithful and how God's grown you and how God's shifted you and how God's been at work in your life so that you can be encouraged and celebrate and give praise and thanks to God for his work in your life. Dash and I have been uh, reading a book called The Sacred Slow. And in this book, uh, the author uh, one of the things that she does is gets you to do this activity and uh, she gets you to write uh, out your life journey on a scroll, your life scroll, all the significant events of your life. And in one of the columns, she gets you to go over your life and 
remember and write down all those significant moments where God met you, where you had an encounter with God, where God was at work in your life and you could see it and you could uh, document it. And so we've been doing that and I've been doing that and I wrote it all down. And, you know, when I finished it, I sat for a moment with God and I looked at all the ways that God has been at work in my life. And it was so encouraging and it was such a blessing and it was so refreshing and filled my heart with gratitude and worship and wonder as I just was able to see how far I've come, how far God has brought me and all the different ways that God has been faithful to be at work in my life. And I encourage you, do that. In, in COVID, if you have a bit more time in isolation, to sit down and write down all those key moments when God has been at work in your life and you can see it so that you can remind yourself of how far you've come. Because this is our confidence as we think about are we there yet, as we think about pressing on to remember that the same God who was at work in our lives in the past is still at work in our lives and he will carry on his good work until the day of Christ. The second section from verses 12 on, Paul now uh, wants the Philippians to know about his experience and what's happening for him. And in this section, he's wanting to make clear to them his commitment to Christ. Remember, Paul's in chains, he's in prison. And in chapter three, the great apostle Paul reminds us that he knew he wasn't there yet either. He knew that there was still a long way for him to go. He knew that he still had to press on as well. But he was determined to make the most of the journey, to not keep thinking about, are we there yet? Are we there yet? But while on the way to live a life that was totally committed to Christ. And and these verses here are incredible as we see first, uh, the, the, the ways that Paul demonstrates his commitment to Christ. Firstly, he was committed to the advance of the gospel. And we see this in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, so his chains has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul's commitment to Christ is first and foremost demonstrated by his determination to see the gospel advance. And his chains were not going to limit him. And I love it because he's saying that, you know, while I'm in prison, I've had the incredible opportunity to to make the gospel known to to Caesar's elite palace guard, uh, an opportunity that many other people, nobody, nobody else would have had. But because of Paul's chains, because he was in prison, because there were guards who were always around him, Paul is saying, hey, this is great. I'm not going to focus on my chains. I'm going to focus on the incredible opportunity that God's given me to make Jesus known even in prison. And then the second thing that uh, Paul notes about advancing the gospel is that because of his chains, other people were being encouraged to to share the gospel. And he says that, that verse 14, and because of my chains, most of uh, of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So uh, it seems like other Christians in Rome maybe who knew about Paul being in chains, Paul being in Rome, knew how Paul was committed to Christ, had been emboldened, had been uh, inspired and encouraged to be more courageous in sharing the gospel. And what's more, Paul says, look, I know that there are some of my opponents who are trying to discredit me. And we know that from Corinthians and even the book of Romans, that there were some who were questioning Paul's gospel of grace. And uh, and possibly those opponents might have been the Judaizers, those uh, Jewish kind of Christians who were insisting that 
uh, grace alone wasn't enough, that, that Christians had to uphold the Jewish law and be circumcised and, and keep uh, the Old Testament law as well, that Paul, and, uh, Paul was uh, refuting and opposing. And it seems like those were the opponents here. And they were going around and trying to make trouble for Paul, we're told in the text. But is, Paul's commitment to Christ and advancing the gospel is so passionate that he's saying, look, it doesn't matter, verse, 15, uh, verse 18, but what does it matter, he says. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I love it, you know, that Paul wasn't threatened. Paul wasn't discouraged by these opponents who were trying to discredit and undermine his ministry. He's like, hey, they're preaching Jesus, they're advancing the gospel, and that's good enough for me. Christ is being preached, and I can celebrate that. And so we see Paul's commitment to Christ demonstrated in his deep passion to make the gospel known, to advance the gospel. The second way his commitment shows up is really challenging in his deep desire to exalt Jesus. And he says this in this next section. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And here's the incredible part, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's profound. Paul is saying, look, it doesn't matter what happens to me, whether I live, whether I die, it doesn't matter. I am so committed to exalting Jesus, to honoring Jesus, to magnifying Jesus. And my prayer and his desire, he's saying, is that even in my chains, even in this situation, even being in prison, whether I live or whether I die, none of that matters. What matters is that my life magnifies Jesus. My life honors Jesus. My, lo- my life makes much of Jesus. And one Bible commented to Warren Wisby, he says that really there's, there's two ways we can think about magnifying Jesus. And he, he asks the question, you know, when you think about it, you know, like we're humans and Jesus is the son of almighty God, the king of kings, the Lord of the universe. And he says, how can we really, you know, magnify Jesus, magnify God, magnify the son of God? And he says, well, a good way to think about it is maybe like a telescope. And he says, look, a telescope is is not as big as the planets or even as big as the moon. It's, it's much, much smaller. But what a telescope does is bring what's distant close to us and makes it appear big. And he says that's one way as Christians and one way that Paul was hoping to magnify Jesus. Because for a lot of people, Jesus is distant. He's remote. He's, remote. he's, he's transcendent. He's too, he's too far away. But in how we live our lives, we can bring Jesus near and we can magnify him that way. Another way Wisby says that we can magnify Jesus is like a microscope that can take something that's very small and enlarge it. And he says, for a lot of people in our culture, Jesus is insignificant. He's irrelevant. He doesn't matter. He doesn't really have anything to contribute to our day-to-day realities. But you and I, as Christians, in the way we live our lives, in the way we deal with our chains like Paul was dealing with, in the way we deal with suffering and hardship and being imprisoned, whatever that might look like for us, we can magnify Jesus like a microscope, and all of a sudden, people see the bigness of Jesus in our own lives. So that's what Paul was committed to, to magnifying Jesus in his chains. The last thing that he was committed to is 
the progress of the Philippian Christians and their journey. And again, we see Paul's passion for Christ, his commitment to Christ in these verses. Um, in verse 25, he says this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He, he, in the verses before, he's, he's wrestling with, should I you know, depart and be with Jesus? And he says, that's better for me to depart and be with Jesus. Uh, that would be an end to my suffering. It would be an end to my challenges. It would be an end to my chains, my imprisonment, and the heavy burden of you know, carrying the responsibility of leading churches. It would be an end to all of that. And it would be so much better for me to go and be with Jesus. And I wonder if you felt that way, and uh, if you're struggling with chronic pain or loneliness or relationship breakdown or whatever it is i'm sure there's been times when you felt lord jesus just take me take me it would be so much better for me to go and be with you but paul's commitment to christ leads him to say but i think it's more necessary verse 24 for you that i remain in the body it's more necessary for you philippians that i stick around because i can continue to work for christ and that's why he says you know for me to live is christ Sometimes it's easier for us to die for Christ, but Paul is so committed to Jesus, so committed to the progress of the Philippians that he says, I want to live for Christ. I want to live for the progress of your faith. I'm choosing not to go and be with Jesus. I'm choosing instead to stay and to endure the chains and to endure being in prison, hoping that I'll be released so that I can come to you and I can encourage you so that again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Again, his priority is to honor Jesus, to exalt Jesus. And he knows that in blessing the Philippians, in helping them in their faith, in, in helping them to progress and grow and encourage them in their faith, that Jesus will be exalted. You know, throughout history, there have been people who've been chained by different things. Um, uh, Susanna Wesley was chained by having 19 children in a day and age where there wasn't a lot of the conveniences that we have today. And yet she was able to disciple and raise up two amazing boys, John and Charles Wesley, who, to, whose combined ministry radically impacted the British Isles. Or um, we think of uh, Fanny Crosby, who was chained by her blindness and yet wrote these incredible songs and hymns that have impacted the church that we still sing today. Or um, Charles Spurgeon's wife, Susanna, who, was, who became invalid and was thinking that all she could do was maybe pray for her husband. And, and, and she was praying and God put on her heart to, to set up a library, which she did. And she was able to help thousands of pastors uh, through setting up this library and providing the resources that they need, the tools that they needed to help them in their ministry. Or uh, a more recent Australian example is Nick Wojcik that you can YouTube and you, you'll see it as an Australian guy uh, who uh, was born without arms and legs and yet he's just incredibly joyful, enthusiastic, passionate man who, who goes and goes to high schools and does seminars and goes to businesses and, and does motivational talks and, and preaches the gospel and tells people about Jesus. Uh, just these incredible examples of people like Paul who are so committed to Christ, to advancing his gospel, to magnifying Jesus, to encouraging and helping others progress in their faith. And I want to ask you this question. I, I wonder how your life and my life would be different, how 
it might help us to press on if we stop complaining about our chains and maybe looked at the opportunities that God might be giving us, whatever our chains might be, to honor Jesus, to magnify Jesus, to advance the gospel, to encourage others and to be a blessing to others. I wonder how much joy we might have, like Paul did in our circumstances, if we changed our perspective and we opened our hearts and said, God, how do you want to use my chains? How do you want to use this lockdown? How do you want to use my isolation? How do you want to use the the prison that I am in that restricts and limits me to advance your gospel, to magnify Jesus and to be a blessing to others? I, I think it would make a radical difference to us. Maybe try it. The last thing that I want to share with you that Paul uh, challenges the Philippians with is this call that he gives them to live a life that honors Jesus. He, He uses his story, his example, his circumstances to now apply this to the Philippians. And he says, you've heard my story, my experience, and you've seen how I'm trying to live this out, how I'm pressing on. And now he wants to issue this call or this challenge for the Philippians to persevere in their faith and to live a life that honors Jesus themselves, to live a life, as he says in verse 27, that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And again, Paul tells them that he knows that they're they're suffering, that he recognizes in in verse uh, 29 and 30, we see that they're experiencing persecution and opposition. They're experiencing suffering themselves. And so Paul recognizes that and he encourages them and says, you're not alone in your suffering. I'm suffering the same way. And he encourages them by saying your suffering is not meaningless. In verse 28, he says, don't be afraid. He's encouraging them to stand firm. He says, without being afraid in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. And he's saying your suffering is a sign that you are part of God's people, that you are identifying with Jesus, that your salvation is sure because you'll be saved by God. And, and he goes on to say that your suffering, like your salvation, has been granted to you. That word granted is the word that's derived from the Greek word charis, which is the grace word. And he's saying, just like we're saved by grace, your suffering is also being granted to you. It has been given to you. It is a privilege that God has given you because you are not suffering pointlessly or meaninglessly. You're suffering, you're identifying with Jesus. You're suffering on behalf of Jesus. You're suffering with Jesus and for Jesus. And so your suffering is meaningful and sacred and holy. And so within that context, he says in verse 27, he says, look, whatever happens, whether I come to you or not, whether I live or die, whatever happens in your situation, in your circumstance, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word conduct is an interesting word. Normally when Paul talks about Christian moral behavior, he uses the Greek word that's translated walk. But here he uses the word conduct, which has the ideas of citizenship wrapped around it. And that's significant because the, in the Philippi was a Roman colony where the Philippians were granted Roman citizenship. And they were really proud of that. And so we know from chapter 3 that Paul comes back to this idea of citizenship to remind them that they were dual citizens, in, in fact. In, in fact, they were heavenly citizens living in the Roman colony. And so he uses this word here, conduct yourself, to remind them to live like the heavenly citizens that they are, 
even though they're living in a Roman colony and they were Roman citizens, they weren't to live according to their culture that they were living in, but to live by the heavenly culture, their heavenly citizenship. And they were to do that because that would be worthy of the gospel. And then he tells them to stand firm in the one spirit. Stand firm. This is how you can live worthy. Stand firm in the one spirit. And it's, it's amazing uh, because in our prayer meeting before the service, we were praying this way for you. Stand firm in the one spirit. It is by the power of the spirit. And I encourage you, if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you, you don't have the gift of speaking in tongues that Paul says in Corinthians edifies us, I encourage you in this time, press into God, believe and ask God for this gift that you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you can speak in tongues and pray in tongues and edify yourself in God. Because Paul says you stand firm in the power of the Spirit. And in Ephesians 6, he says we can stand firm and, and we can be standing in the power of God and we can stand in the day of evil because we have the power of God within us. Stand firm in the one Spirit. He says, strive together. That word strive is an athletic word. It's like being in a team, working together to achieve a, a, a common outcome. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And so we see here Paul's desire for unity in the church, for them to be one, for all of them to come together in this mission of making the gospel known, of working together, of striving together as one to continue to advance the gospel in the face of their suffering, in the face of their trials and challenges. You know, one of the other things that really helped me in my hike was having other guys with me, other friends with me who uh, were encouraging me, who were challenging me, who were supporting me, who were helping me. And when it got really heavy, my pack got heavy and hard. They shared the load. They carried some of my stuff with me. It made such a difference having others traveling along the same journey, encouraging and supporting one another. And so I want to encourage us from Paul's word that, you know, let's conduct ourselves as the heavenly citizens we are. Let's stand firm in this difficult season in the power of the Spirit. And let's together encourage and support and strengthen one another as we look for opportunities to advance the gospel and to bless others through our chains, through our situation, through our circumstances, whatever they might be, that we can advance the gospel and the kingdom of God and exalt and honor and magnify the name of our Lord and Savior. As I finish up, you know, encouragement is such a powerful thing. Um, and Paul here is encouraging these Philippians as their leader. And I want to say to you, church, thank you for all those uh, who have encouraged us, who have sent us messages, who uh, expressed uh, encouragement and kindness in different other practical ways. We really appreciate and value that. Thank you for that. Thank you to all of those who've sent messages and texts to each other, encouraging one another, checking in on one another, caring for one another. That's incredible and wonderful. And it's fulfilling what Paul is asking the Philippians to do here, to stand firm in the one spirit and to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And I want to encourage you from what Paul says to the Philippians that you, you are on our minds. We're, we're thinking of you. We, we are remembering your partnership fondly with joy and your support and your partnership with us. We, we appreciate that and we value that. And, and you're on our hearts. 
as Paul says here, you, 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 you're on our hearts. We, we're longing for you. We, we're thinking affectionately for you. We miss you. We, we love you and we long to see you, as Paul says here. Well, I want to say that to you, PCC. And, you know, we, we were praying these things for you. We're praying for you. We're praying that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight that you might be able to discern what's best, that you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that you might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. We're, we're praying for you. We're, we're believing in you. We're, we're thinking of you. We love you. We long for you because we're confident that God is at work in you and the God that began the good work in you will bring it to completion. And so I encourage you, press into God. And there's this incredible promise that this nugget that's in the middle of this passage in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, in Philippians 1, uh, 12 to 26, where Paul is talking about him being in chains. In verse 19, he says this, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What a great promise to hold on to. It's through your prayers as we pray for one another and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus. That word provision means superabundant, generous, extravagant provision of the Spirit of Jesus. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Church, let's keep praying for one another. Let's keep pressing into God. Let's keep being filled with God's Spirit that is poured out on us lavishly and extravagantly and generously. And let's keep encouraging and supporting one another that we might grow in Christ and that we might grow in advancing the gospel and in making Jesus exalted and magnified in our lives. Let me pray. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this great letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. I thank you for the encouragement, Lord, that you are at work in our lives. And Lord, so I pray for our church. I pray, Lord, that we would stand firm in the power of your spirit. I pray, Father, that we would grow in our knowledge of, of you and, and in our knowledge of each other, that we would grow in insight, that we would be able to discern what is best. Lord, I pray that we would experience the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Father, I pray that we will strive together to advance your gospel. I pray that we will live lives that, Lord, will see the gospel go out. Lord, that we will take every opportunity you're giving us within our difficulty and lockdown and isolation to advance the gospel, to magnify Jesus and to encourage one another. Lord, that we would bless one another, that we would be supporting one another as we journey together. And Lord, so I pray that you'll bless every single person, bless their families, their, their kids, bless our single people, our young people, our, our kids, our older people. Lord, that your hand will rest mightily on us and that we be we would be refreshed in you and encouraged in you as we go into another week, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.